0: Okay, well, it's really good to be with you. I am looking forward to being able to preach today. We're in this series called Restored. And uh, this whole series is really about how God wants to do a work in our lives where he helps get us free. So obviously, getting us, drawing us to the point where we make a commitment, where we choose to follow Jesus. And some Many of us in this room may have done that, others not yet. But from that point onwards, God still has work he wants to do in us, to get us free and to walk free and to become who he's calling us to be and get out of pain sometimes from our past which affects us and holds us back and to get us walking into freedom that's what this whole series is about and today i want to speak as Hilary mentioned on what i think is probably well certainly a if not the pivotal issue which is about forgiveness and the importance and significance of forgiveness so we're going to look at a passage in matthew 18 if you've got a Bible, you want to turn there? If not, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen. And Jesus says some very poignant words in this passage about the whole issue of forgiveness. In fact, he tells a story, really, to illustrate it. And we're going to read from verse 21 and try and stay with the whole story because he said some very straight things that we need to hear. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. as he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me. I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger... His master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, if you kind of listened to that or read that and just stayed with it the whole time, that, that certainly in me It creates two very distinct responses. The first part of me, and to do really the first part of the story, I I respond very positive to the first part of this story. I kind of get it. I can relate to it. I understand that this story is about me and God. It's about you and God. It's about where we were before you ever become a Christian, basically is what Jesus is saying. In other words, that through our lives, we amass a huge moral debt that we cannot repay. And uh, scholars have tried to work out when Jesus tells a story of 10,000 bags of gold, they've tried to work out in modern terms, what does that relate to? How much money is that? And they reckon it's millions, probably billions of pounds worth of debt. In other words, Jesus is telling a story about a completely unpayable debt, totally unpayable by the servant. That, and that, if you like, is a picture of where we are before God, before we ever come to the cross. That we are in a situation where because of our rebellion and because of the stuff we've done that we should never do, we are in a scenario where we have amassed a huge moral debt that we can never solve ourselves. And that was where we were. I can relate to that. And then in the story, the servant throws himself at the mercy of the master. Have mercy on me. Take pity on me. And amazingly, the master has compassion on the servant. Where he should inflict judgment, he actually has mercy. And he cancels the debt and lets him go completely free. And that is a picture of exactly what happens at the cross when you come and stand before Jesus, that this debt that you could not pay, that was yours by right, is totally cancelled. He, the Lord Jesus, takes your debt, inflicts it upon himself, and gives you mercy that you never deserved. He absorbs the debt. We get mercy. We get to go completely free, all at his expense. That is how God treats us. That's why we can sing songs like Amazing Grace, because that's what it is. So I like this story. I'm very positive about the first part of the story. But then the story goes on, and I find the second half of the story more difficult than the first, because in the second half, that servant who's forgiven goes out. And he goes out and he finds a guy who owes him money, a much smaller amount. And he grabs him, assaults him, and says, Pay me back. And the man, the second servant, basically says the same thing as the first servant and said, Please have mercy on me. I'll do everything I can to pay you back. Just give me some time. But it says, Jesus says, He refused. He refuses. There's something in his spirit that kind of goes, No. Instead, he has the guy taken and thrown into jail until he can pay it back. The story goes on. News of this goes back, gets back to the master, and the master calls in the first servant for a second meeting. The second meeting is very different from the first. And this is what Jesus says. He says, the master said, you wicked servant. I cancelled all that debt of you because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus ends with these words. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Now you should read that passage and hear that passage and something within you should go, whoa, did did he actually say what I think he just said? I mean, Jesus, that's what, is Jesus really saying that? I mean, I can kind of imagine the disciples, they're, they're with Jesus, they're enjoying the first part of the story, they think this is good, they're standing behind him going, it's good Jesus, people are liking this. And maybe they're holding up cards to say how well he's scoring, and they're enjoying the moment until Jesus gets into the second half and you can see them start to look at each other and go, Did he, is he really saying that? And maybe at the end of the whole thing, one of them kind of gives them a bit of feedback. Peter maybe gives them some feedback. I really enjoyed most of the message. That last little bit, maybe we could just just soften that. Maybe you came across a little more intense than you meant. If we'd filmed Jesus for a video message, Brett, who's in charge of our communications, would probably have sat Jesus down at the end and said, the ending, shall we re-record the ending? Because that came across pretty heavy. But there's no re-edit. And there's no re-recording. That's what Jesus meant to say. In fact, if you know the Gospels, you'll know that Jesus says stuff like this in other places, just like this, about the issue of forgiveness. So Matthew seven, Matthew 6 sorry, is the passage where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And we know it as the Lord's Prayer. And he says specifically, I want you to learn how to pray every day this line, amongst all the other lines. Forgive us our sins as... And that's the killer word. We forgive those who sin against us. Now, I learned that prayer as a child. And in fact, the church I went to when I was a kid, we used to say that prayer every week. How many of us used to recite that prayer every week in church? Okay, actually, my church, I grew up, we used to say, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, it took me a few years as a little child to work out that trespass didn't mean, get off my land, kind of trespassing, okay? But it was about the issue of sin, just as it took me a little bit of time to work out that God's name wasn't Harold, but Hallowed. I don't know if that's ever crossed your mind, but that's what I thought as a kid, okay? Harold, strange name for God. But anyway, Jesus is teaching in the Lord's Prayer. He says, forgive us our debts as, in the same way, as we forgive others who do our debtors, or sinned against us, our debtors. In fact, Jesus is so serious that there's a bit at the end of the Lord's Prayer that we never, never recited in church, as I remember, where he says these words. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." all good? Time to go home. I mean, you should read that passage and go, what? What did he just say? Because when you read that and you look at it, it sounds a lot like Jesus is saying that his forgiveness of me is dependent upon my forgiveness of somebody else. In other words, I qualify for his forgiveness if I'm willing to forgive somebody else. And if I don't forgive them, he won't forgive me. That's what that reads like to me. Now, that's a shock because the way we read the rest of the New Testament is that basically his forgiveness of me isn't qualified by anything I do, Yeah, that basically all I bring to the point of getting forgiveness and being saved and being able to come home to God, all I bring is basically my mess and an attitude that says, I surrender. That's all I bring. I don't bring anything to the equation that's positive. I just bring my negative rubbish and I go, God, I can't do it on my own. I believe you can. I want to follow you. And that's all I bring. That's why when we baptize today and when we do this, we we quote Romans and go, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All you have to do is confess and believe. That's it. So that's what we think the New Testament teaches, and that's what I believe the New Testament teaches, but then you read Jesus' words in Matthew 18, and you go, what is he saying? When it comes to the issue of forgiveness, what is he actually saying to us? Because he's clearly very serious about this issue. Well, I don't believe Jesus is teaching that his forgiveness of me is dependent on my forgiveness of somebody else. I don't believe that my ability to forgive someone qualifies me to receive his forgiveness. I don't think that's what he's teaching here. What I believe Jesus is teaching us is he's telling us something about the nature of a forgiven soul, that there is something, if you like, so fundamental and so completely life-changing about coming to Jesus for the first time, about receiving forgiveness, that one of the products in our lives and in my life, part of the fruit, if you like, of that in my life is that I begin to grow into being a forgiving person. In other words, my ability, my inclination, my desire to forgive is a product of not the qualification for my own forgiveness from God. Now let me explain this a bit more, because there's a few passages in the Bible that work like this a little bit, and when you read them, they can be confusing. You kind of go, I just don't understand that passage in light of everything else I read. So let me take you to one of them, and you will probably see a similarity. James 2, in the New Testament, verse 14, it says this. Now, I don't know how you read that passage, but when you first read it, on the surface, it sounds like it's teaching this. To be saved, to be able to come to Jesus, to make that decision, basically requires two things. First of all, it requires faith, I believe in Jesus, twinned with good works, things that I have to do. And if I do some good works and I believe in Jesus, that will qualify me to be a Christian and he will forgive me. That, by the way, is what Jehovah's Witnesses teach, That is faith in Jesus and it is good works and you've got to have enough good works. Difficult to know when you've done enough, by the way, but that's put those two together and that qualifies you. That's what James 2 appears to teach, but I don't think that is what James 2 teaches. I think what James 2 is teaching us, although it different, doesn't read like this to begin with, is that good works are the product of a saved soul. That one of the ways you know if someone is a Christian is that the product of them being saved is a changed life. And if there is never any change in their life, then maybe they never got saved in the first place. That's what James 2, I think, is teaching. It's a bit like asking the question, how do you know if an apple tree is an apple tree? Ask the person next to you that question. See if they can get the answer just as a little quick. The answer isn't Jesus. I know we're in church, but the answer is not Jesus on this occasion. How do you know if an apple tree is an apple tree? Because it What? It produces apples. Very good. Well done. Exactly. It has fruit in keeping with the nature of what it is. Yeah? The apples don't qualify as an apple tree. It just proves that it is already. When you come to Jesus, he does such a fundamental life-changing work in your heart that you become a new person and you start to walk into living out differently. That doesn't qualify. It's just the proof that that has already happened. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 18 and Matthew 6 when it comes to prayer and forgiveness. He's saying a forgiven heart is a forgiving heart. And if you never walk into forgiveness, never produce that in your life, if you never have that inclination, then it questions whether you've ever received forgiveness. And we need to receive forgiveness because forgiving someone when they genuinely hurt you is hard. Yeah. I mean, Peter asks the question, what do I do when my brother or my sister basically hurts me, or sins against me? Notice it's a brother or sister, it's someone close. I mean, I can cope with someone driving down the road and shouting at me. I don't like it, but I don't really care too much. But when it's someone close to me, that's what hurts us. So it's hard. When someone hurts us, when someone wrongs us, you know, our natural reaction, at least my rea- natural reaction, is not to first wanting to forgive them. My natural reaction is to what? To want to get even, hurt them back. I want to I hold them accountable for what they have done. That's my natural reaction. If you, if you know me at all, I have probably quite a strong justice driver inside of me. By that I mean I care about things being fair and people being treated fairly and and that's a good thing, because if I see inequality around me, it matters to me that we sort this so it's, that people aren't disadvantaged. When I understand it or see it, I will respond to it. The downside of that is, personally, when I experience injustice, I have a hard time letting it go, because it matters to me, and I feel it deeply. And so my natural response is not to necessarily, first of all, want to forgive, So, in order for me to become a forgiving person, and I would suggest the same is true for you, I have to understand and experience forgiveness. God has to do something in me to produce that through me. I have a friend who has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa three times now. It's quite a big mountain. It's not technically very difficult. You just walk up it, but it's big, it's just under 20,000 feet. To climb Mount Kilimanjaro, you basically need three or four things you need to be quite fit you need to have the right equipment, you need to have a guide, and critically, you need to have time for your body to acclimatize, to like live at that altitude with less oxygen in the air. What that means is, if you and I, if I just said, who wants to go to Tanzania today, hands up, not many of you. A few of you. Right, we're all going to go. Okay. It's okay. Hillary's paying, so we're all going. We're getting on a plane. Oh, yeah, more hands go up. Perfect. Okay, I'm in if Hillary's going. So we're, we're all going to go. And even if you're fit and got, we've got a guide and we've got the right equipment, we're all ready. If we go, let's go, straight up that thing, we're not going to make it. And the reason we're not going to make it is because we won't have time for things to happen inside of us that allows us to do that. We have to acclimatize to be able to climb that thing. And that's a little bit like the issue of forgiveness. God has to do something in us in order for us to live that out. Because it's hard. It's not our natural reaction. We need God to do something in us. And Jesus is saying, listen, a forgiven heart leads to a forgiving heart. But if there's no forgiveness in your life, if you never extend that to anyone, he's saying there's a question as to whether did I ever, ever actually come to Jesus properly in the first place? Because there's a warning in this story. It, it, is, it is, this story is serious. Jesus is saying, you've got to take seriously coming to me and giving your life to me and surrendering. Jesus is not a bolt on into our lives. In other words, well, I like everything I'm doing and I bolt a little bit of Jesus in. That's not coming to Jesus. That's not bowing the knee. That's not surrendering your life. That's just saying, God, can you help me with a few extra bits and pieces what I can't do on my own? But when you really come, when you bow to the knee, you say, Jesus, I cannot do this. I cannot solve this issue. I've admit, I can't find the way through. Them. I need you. I believe you are who you are. I surrender. Then the Bible teaches very clearly that God comes to do something amazing in your life. It clears this. All this stuff, cleared, cancelled, and now something new in our heart, a new person, new creation, new life, And a new life that leads you into a new heart that wants to sort and forgive and move on and clear up mess from the past. That's where we need to get clear where we start with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be serious about following me, this needs to become not just something you do like, oh yeah, conceptually I should... No, this becomes a lifestyle issue of forgiving people and letting go. Because this whole story starts, doesn't it, with Peter saying... Uh, listen, Jesus, if someone hurts you, if someone sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? And he said seven times. Now, Peter thinks he's doing really well. I have some sympathy for Peter. He thinks he's doing really well because all the rabbis of that time would have said three times. So Peter's doubled it and added one. So he's feeling like he, Jesus is going to go, good job, Peter. You're so spiritual. You're a giant, he thinks he's doing really well and Jesus just turns around to him and goes, 77 times. Now Jesus is not teaching on the 78th occasion. You can do whatever you like to him. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, 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 whole new approach. Now you don't, no keeping count. No scoring anymore. This becomes how you operate now. It's a completely new day. Now, I know when you preach on a subject like this, and when we go through a series like this, there will be many of us in the room that our mind is wandering to people, situations, circumstances in our past, where the truth is we were hurt and sinned against. And maybe this is coming up repetitively for you. And often if that is the case, my experience of that when that happens to me is that is the Holy Spirit Graciously and kindly bringing to my attention, Phil, there's this issue in your past that I want us to sort out, that I want you to walk, I want you to walk, I want you to get away from it, and I want you to walk free of it. And often, this issue and this pain in this past, this issue where there's unforgiveness, and getting from there to freedom, that pathway is often called forgiveness, now, that's not an easy path, okay? It's hard because you have to face and acknowledge some things that have been painful that often we don't want to look at. But it is a gift to us, that path. It's what one commentator said, it's like spiritual surgery for our souls, forgiveness. It's the way of getting it from pain and hurt which have affected us through into freedom. And it's a gift. Because God wants us to walk free, And all of us will have this in our history, all of us, to different degrees, different issues. We will have people who are debtors, if you like, people who have wronged us. And because of that situation, it has affected us, and it affects how we live right now because of that. So I was thinking about myself, just as I was preparing, I was aware that I was thinking back to a time at school, when I went through my year nine at school, I had a rough year year nine. Some of you, I know, people can relate to this. Often people are like, yeah, school. Year nine. Year nine was the night where a bunch of people I'd known in year seven and eight who were okay, I was all right with them. Year nine, for whatever reason, they all turned on me, this bunch of guys. And it was hard. Made school rubbish for that year. Hated it. Didn't feel like I could talk to anyone about it. But the product of it in my heart, in my life, was at the end of year nine, I felt alone. I felt hurt. I felt rejected. And, and it scarred me. In other words, I didn't walk away from it unaffected. It affected, therefore, how I then went forward, how I related to people, how confident I did or didn't feel in different situations, how I would or would not step into opportunities. It affected me. So fast forward many years. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm going on with God. Guess what happens? I feel like I want to go back and hunt them down. That's what I want to do. But I feel like, no, God, I begin to become aware that thing has affected me. And I need to start getting free of it. I need to get some forgiveness. I need, to, I need to work through a bit of healing. And that's what we all have to do. That there are things that have affected us, things that have done to us and said to us that should never have been done or said. Maybe things that weren't said and done that should have been. And they have affected us and they are holding us from walking free. And God graciously, if he's bringing your attention, he's saying, I want to help get you out. I don't want you to have to handle that anymore. That's what God's doing. Now let me tell you a few things that forgiveness is not, if there are people or situations in your life like that. Forgiveness is not the same as condoning or excusing. We're not saying that that thing that happened is okay. It's definitely not okay. That's why we need to forgive. So it's not excusing. It's not forgetting, we're not trying to suppress a memory or stuff it back down inside of ourselves. In fact, if any, it's the opposite. God is bringing it up to our mind to go, oh yeah, okay. So it's not forgetting, it's not condoning, It's not even waiting for this person or these people to come and apologize. That's what we want if someone wrongs us. We want them to apologize. I want this person to come to me face-to-face, preferably in front of a whole room of people, and apologize. I would like a letter, in fact, apologizing, written in blood, ideally their blood, (laughs) delivered to my door. That's what I want, but that's not what happens. It is about us taking the initiative and stepping into beginning to forgive them. It rarely involves actually dealing with the person themselves. Occasionally it does. Most times it's just me and God and maybe somebody else who's helping me pray it through. Sometimes we're forgiving people that we don't see anymore and sometimes maybe they're not even alive anymore. But God has brought to our attention, actually there's this thing that's hurt you that's making you limp emotionally. Forgiveness is also not using it as a weapon. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in church, but way back in my past, the church I went to when I was a kid, it had, went through this season where people would occasionally walk up to people and go, I just want you to know, I've forgiven you. <laughs> They'd be like, I don't even know what I did wrong in the first place. I'm like, I, I didn't even know there was an issue. Now I feel like there's an issue. Now and what they're doing, and they're, not t- they're not really forgiving you for whatever it was that offended them. They're using forgiveness as a spiritual veneer to kind of whack you around the face. Oh, I want you to know, I've forgiven you. Yeah, right. Okay, that's not forgiveness either. That's just using forgiveness as a weapon. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation either. Reconciliation is ideal. But for reconciliation, both people need to be going through this process, and often that's not what happens. And sometimes it's not wise for you to reconcile to this person because you can't trust them anymore. So it's not always wise to reconcile. And then forgiveness is not the same thing. Forgiveness is your part of saying, "Okay." I'm going to forgive them. Let me tell you what forgiveness is, or one way of looking at it. Forgiveness is, well, forgiveness is giving up the right to hurt the other person back. It's giving up the right to try and get even. And basically, that requires two things, okay? The first thing it requires is it requires us allowing God to be the judge and deciding that I'm going to give up trying to be the judge myself. You know, I'm going to literally, I've been sitting in the seat of judgment over this person, and I'm going to give up that seat and going to let God sit in it because he's a much better judge than I am. And I'm going to trust you that you will administer justice where it needs to be administered. I'm going to give up that seat and allow God to sit in it, in other words. And I was aware... Yesterday, we watched a film as a family. Saturday night, we watched a film together. And in our lounge, or certainly in our house, it doesn't seem to matter what happens in our house. If you, you might get a seat to watch a film, a good seat, if you're lucky. But if you step out of the room for one millisecond, someone, someone else grabs it. On your feet, lose your seat. It's basically the mantra that I, I come back in. I'm like, oh, like, I was when you weren't here, right? And so they, they just take, people just take your seat. And I was thinking, that's what God, that's what often we do with God, We want to sit in his seat. We want to be the judge. But actually forgiving someone, part of that is going, God, I'm trusting you that you will be the judge. And I don't have to sit there anymore. The other side of giving up the right to get them back is that you choose what to do with the debt. Jesus tells a story about debts and debtors Because when someone wrongs us, they rob us. Always. They rob us of something. They rob us of joy or confidence or opportunity. Whatever it is, they rob us. And so there is a debt. They are in debt to you and to me. And we have a choice of what to do with that debt. You see, we can either inflict it on them and hold them accountable for it, which is basically what the servant does to the second servant. I'm holding you accountable. Or we can choose to let the debt go by absorbing it at our own cost. So you have to choose, and forgiveness is basically absorbing the debt rather than inflicting it anymore. So we have to allow God to be the judge, and we have to absorb debt and to do that you have to keep coming back to the cross because at the cross there you remember you experience again how in credit you are now as a Christian if you're a believer here so before the cross before I ever come to Jesus it's not that I'm just spiritually bankrupt I'm in deficit according to that story I've got a massive moral debt I cannot pay When I come to the cross and I surrender, God wipes it away. But he doesn't just wipe it away so it's neutral. Now, he says, now step into credit. You're going to be a son, you're an heir, you're forgiven, you're free, I have a purpose. Suddenly you're in credit. That's what happens at the cross. And you need to understand that's what's happening at the cross. Which means when it comes to God leading me into issues and steps of forgiveness, I can do it because I can absorb it because I'm in credit now. I mean, if I've got nothing in the bank, and let's say Hillary owes me £100, I'm going to struggle to let that go because I've got nothing. I can't give out something I don't have. But if I've got a million pounds in the bank, which I don't, but if I had a million pounds, I can write £100 off because I'm in credit. But I have to choose to absorb the debt. Forgiveness is choosing to absorb it rather than inflicting it. You see, ironically, we hold unforgiveness against people because what we want to do is we want to keep them captive. I mean, they they don't know often, but in our minds it's like I'm gonna keep you prisoner, I wanna keep, I'm gonna make you pay, I'm gonna hold you captive. But what you discover is that the only person captive in the whole thing is you. I'm a prisoner to my hurt and my pain and my resentment, and I can't get free of it. Nelson Mandela once said, resentment is like drinking poison and then hoping it will kill your enemies. That's such a natural reaction, but God wants us free. And I truly believe God wants you free. If you know, God, I'm battling with this person or this history or this issue, I know some of the root of it. I believe God wants you free. It begins by going, I'm acknowledging that that is where I am. I'm acknowledging that it's painful. Acknowledging is hard because you have to face the pain again. It's really, it's not easy. That's why you need to do it with friends who love you. It's about being vulnerable with appropriate people. It's about acknowledging, and then it's going, I'm trusting you, you will be the judge, so I don't have to be the judge anymore. And then it's receiving forgiveness, knowing I'm in credit, so I can begin to let this go, and walking through the steps that allow you to do that. And then as you do that, the Holy Spirit graciously leads you into healing and freedom and future as you forgive some of these things from your past. If you know God's speaking to you, I really want to encourage you, take that seriously. And in this season, maybe at the Freedom Days, come along and start to address some of those issues. Let's stand together.